start recording. Um, so I, I, I'm going to take the opportunity to introduce um, Vinoy. So I've been listening to Vinoy in some form or fashion since 19, since I got into Al-Anon in 1995. Um, I have kind of two special memories. I remember once driving home to San Antonio from Austin and I was in a real, real bad place um, with the divorce of my husband or my ex-husband. And um, her and I remember I said, I'm either gonna cry the entire way home to San Antonio or I'm gonna put in this tape of Vinoy Shaw and I'm gonna laugh all the way home. And I did, I laughed all the way home and it was great. And then um, Vinoy is um, somewhere in my sponsorship line, I'm not sure exactly where, um, but in my big book, I have the following words written after the doctor's opinion. And I don't know where or who got that into my sponsorship line, but it says, in a nutshell, it is a devastating disease. It takes a power greater than ourselves to change it. Our only hope is in a spiritual experience, and that's attributed to Vinoy. So I live by those words, or try to, and um, I am going to turn it over to Vinoy Shaw. Um, I'm so honored that she's here with us, and I uh, can't wait to hear what she says. Thanks, Vinoy. Oh, thank you, Lisa. How sweet is that? Well, I'm glad we had a good trip. Um, my name is Benoit Shaw. I came into this magnificent fellowship of ours February the 7th of 1969. Uh, I have 51 years, if you try to do all the math, which I always try to do. I have 51 years as of last February. Um, days when I feel like I got about one and a half years. Um, Lisa, am I supposed to speak the entire hour or how do you, what's your format? You can have all up until the whole hour. It's all of yours. Okay. We'll just close thank it you. out after you're done. Okay, thank you. Um, and I want to thank you for inviting me. I, I have completely, 100%, just 125% fell in love with Zoom. Now, who would thought that I could zip down to Houston on late Saturday afternoon and spend an hour or so with y'all? I just love it. And I've been saying all along, I, God loves me so much. I mean, I must be one of his favorites. Because in 1935, he put two drunks together in a room, which I have been, I have visited that room, sat at that table, and they talked and started our a, a fellowship and then in 51 Lois and uh, another Ann started Al-Anon as we know it today in 51 and then I don't know what the dates were but two guys sat in a garage and come up with the internet and windows and all that so we have internet around the world and then I think a, a six or seven years ago i'm still trying to research that somebody came up with zoom because god knew 1935 that i was going to be cooped up in 2020 and he didn't want me to be without my recovery he didn't want me to be by myself i would be dangerous so he put all that together just for me so i could come to houston 
I believe that with all my heart and soul. So I have a, I had a sponsor. Her name was Pat Clater and she had 46 years and she passed away. And now I have Nell Largent from Walrick, Oklahoma is my sponsor now. And I sponsor people and my life is very full. I tell you this, this has been a, quite a day. I stayed up till 2 a.m. or a little after watching all the riots. You know, I think one of my characteristics, if you will, is I'm addicted to excitement. And when stuff like that's going on, I got to be in the middle of it. So I was up till two watching that. Then I woke up so I could listen to the Governor Como talk all about the virus, how it's doing. And then I ran over and watched the launch of SpaceX. And then I took a quick nap and then here y'all are. I mean, that's what a day is that. I'm not trapped by myself. I am not not busy. I am on the go all the time. And just, I, I just fell in love with Zoom because I thought how boring it would be just to see y'all on an iPad. But from the very get-go, I can feel y'all through my iPad. I, I can feel the spirit. I can feel, I can see your face. And it's so fun to see who stays awake and who goes to sleep and who's eating and who's talking and who's playing with their cat. I mean, it's so much fun and entertainment for me while I'm talking with y'all. And I just, I, I just am, I'm in love with my recovery and I'm in love with y'all and I'm just delighted more than delighted to be here. Um, I do have vertigo and I've really had a bout with it this week and that makes me tongue tied and I can't think of words and I get mixed up. So if I kind of go roaming around, y'all just put, pick up the pieces and put them back together for me. Um, First of all, I love alcoholics. I've always loved alcoholics. Every time I got rid of one, I went and got another one. Uh, I gave birth to two, so I'd never be without any. Uh, I have, my whole family is riddled with alcoholism. And I just love the spiritual tools that I found here in this program to deal with all that, with my craziness. and with the disease of alcoholism. My great grand sponsor was Marcy White from Lake Whitney. And a man in Dallas whom she she we all knew him, he told this over and over and over in one of his talks that he was leading a meeting, an AA meeting, and they were going around the table and the subject was what do you think made you an alcoholic? And they, they went all the way around. People were saying different things. And when he got back to them, he said, isn't it interesting that nobody mentioned alcohol? And they had not. And what they were talking about is the alcohol-isms. The isms, the character defects, if you will, which we just shortened it to the isms. And Marcy said, that she discovered that Al-Anons have isms also. 
our characteristics, if you will, are so similar to the alcoholisms. And that's why I think we're kind of drawn to each other. Pat told me that the horns in my head fit the holes in his head. So, I mean, we just match. And I just, I love alcoholics. I prefer them sober, but I love them. I was born out in West Texas. And West Texas is just flat as a pancake. There's not even a bump in the road. No trees, just mesquite and cotton and cattle and horses roaming around. And that's it. And bored out of my gore. And my brother, when I was a little bitty kid, I don't know, I think six or seven, uh, he broke his neck and left him paralyzed. And uh, I had two other brothers. I was uh, the third child. And it bankrupt my father. He had a little uh, used furniture business. And he just bankrupted him. And I remember seeing my brother and how much he had changed. He just didn't even look like the same man when he finally, we were in Oklahoma uh, on a farm out there and he was diving into a creek and he stepped over a few feet and hit a sandbank and that's what broke his neck. And he stayed there in hospitals for a long, long time. Then they transferred him back to Lubbock in the hospital and he was there a long, long time. I don't know how long it was, but when I finally got to see him, he was not the same man or young man. He was just a kid. And I remember saying, oh, you look awful. <laughs> and I remember my mother pinching my arm so bad that I screamed. Um, and from that day forth, my life was never the same. My dad went bankrupt. A bunch of church people came over. My family was strict Southern Baptist. Many of y'all know what that looks like. And the church ladies came with sacks and sacks of groceries and other things. And I remember as they came in the living room, uh, my brother had finally got home and they'd set him up a little hospital bed in the back. And my house smelled bad because of his body functions and his rotting flesh, bed sores. And I was always kind of hiding in the corner when somebody came because I was embarrassed. And they came in and my daddy, I remember his face. He kind of turned gray and he went out in the backyard and my mother sat down and started crying. And I don't know, I don't know who they were, but some special people came and they threw water in his face. I was, again, I was, you know, just around the corner peeking and uh, were screaming and yelling sounds like and they had their hands up and they were kind of doing dances in there. And it scared me. And then they all left. And I ran in there to see if my brother was okay. And he said, I'm fine. I've just been healed. And the first thing I'm going to do when I can get up and walk is chase you around the backyard. Well, I was just ecstatic. So I went down and went in the living room, sat down on the couch and waited. I thought he was going to jump up any minute and chase me. And of course, that never happened. He was completely paralyzed. So this one little sweet little old lady, she was obviously very short because she got me and was hugging me and she put my face in between her ample bosoms. I mean, they were ample bosoms and she had on tea rose. I found out what it was later. Tea rose perfume. 
and she was hugging the back of my neck and my face was just like this and I was just squirming trying to get out of there and she was saying oh Jesus loves you Jesus loves you and I, I was just smothering to death and she finally let me go and I thought I don't understand any of this you know she's talking about Jesus and I nearly smothered and he said there's gonna God's gonna heal him and he's gonna walk and he hasn't I don't believe there is any such thing and that was my decision I believe it's six years old whatever they're talking about does not exist I never saw any any evidence of God um, just never saw any evidence and I, I was tall and skinny and just always hiding quiet um, skinny little thing and one of my the big girls took me out with her one night and introduced me to a place that I didn't even know was on the planet and it was so exciting it, I walked in and it was a West Texas honky tonk. There's nothing on, and never has, never will be like a West Texas honky tonk. You walk in there, the lights are low, it's noisy, it's loud, it smells just like my house, old stale smoke, body organisms everywhere the band playing and people out on the dance floor and they're just doing like this. And I just, I was just mesmerized just walking in the door. And she explained what you do when you're out there. What you're doing is looking for a hymn. And what you do is you watch the bar. It's on one side of the room and all, we all set the tables on the other side. And you would watch. And when the, the best looking one started kind of falling off the stool he was right and you could go over and kind of make sure that he sees you and you could dance well i didn't know how to dance so i i just sat there for a long time and finally somebody asked me and i tell you what i did not i was born a dancer i didn't know i could dance but i got out there and i fell in that old boy's arms and holy cow, magic was born. My situation was that nobody really, I'm sorry, this chair is terrible. Nobody really paid any attention to me. My mom and dad were so busy with my brother that they just, they, it wasn't cruel or mean. They just didn't pay attention to me. Nobody hugged. Nobody tugged you in at night. Nobody told you stories. Nobody woke you up. You just woke up to the sound of everything. And you got up, put your clothes on, and went to school, come home, and did your chores, and go to bed. And there was no communication. There was no loving or nothing in my family. I just remember it all as just being a place, quiet most of the time. My mother and father argued a lot, which I'm sure they did because of the stress and the strain. And many years later, I heard a speaker and he was describing how his life changed the first time that he had a drink. He took that drink. He was shy and skinny and all the things that I felt. And he took that drink and he said it went down into his 
soul, if you will, and just went boom, came back up and he was just a man. His arms, you know, filled out and had muscles and he was beautiful hair all of a sudden. And he went over and he started fraternizing with the ladies and he was, it was, he was it, he was fixed. And that alcohol did that for him. And when I heard that, I thought, oh my God, I so identify with that because I know exactly what you're talking about. This guy came and he bundled me up on that first dance. We got on that dance floor. He hugged me. I hadn't been hugged. And it just felt, oh my God, skin on skin. Our faces were together in his arms. He had me just, he was pretty tipsy. Had me really all hugged up. You couldn't put a human hair in between us. And oh, I loved it. And there was a tune called Sleepwalk. Some of y'all may be old enough to remember that. I don't know, but it's a steel guitar. And it, it just penetrates your soul. It just, the music just takes you to heaven. And here I am dancing the first time and all snuggled up and hugged up. And oh my God, I've just, I just went away somewhere. I'm like, I just, uh, I probably was drooling. And he, his face was right here. And right here in this ear, right here, he started kind of nibbling. And then he said, sugar, I need you. Oh, my God. Boom. Bow, my, my little top, small titties just got huge and big. And I had beautiful long hair and rosy rips. And, and I was just hanging on to him. I had transformed. I had transformed. And I was the happiest person in the world. I had a hymn. I didn't know that that was so glorious. I heard the big girls talking about it, but I had no idea that the hymn was this fantastic. And, oh, I mean, we stayed together the rest of the night dancing. And then he took me home, and I learned all the things that my grandma told me I should not do. And I thought, well, I'm in love. This is it. I know we're going to get married. We're going to have 2.4 kids. We're going to have a station wagon with the wood on the side of it, like Doris Day did. And I just, oh, man, I was just, I was on it. I was ready for it. And the next morning, he disappeared. When I woke up, he's gone. Well, I had to go find him because I had to get that feeling again. Goodness sakes. So I go back after the honky-tonk, and he's not there. But I started watching, and about 11-ish, the guys start falling off those stools again. So you can kind of go back over there and, you know, take another run at it. And I did over and over and over. I lovingly call myself a slut puppy hoe. I was looking for that perfect him that was going to change my life forever. I There's a a book that wrote about Lois throwing her shoe at Bill. That's a famous story. She got so upset, upset with him that she threw a shoe because he wasn't listening to her and had to run off to a meeting. Well, this book goes further in that. Um, and it says she went out on the front porch and she looked at the street and there was a bunch of cars parked out there. And she noticed some women sitting in those cars. Well, she knew they had to be 
in her house because it was during the depression and nobody drove because you couldn't get gas nor afford, afford it. So she figured those women were married to the guys that was in her living room. So she goes out and knocks on the window and says, well, you want to come in my, her cup of coffee? So I think there was three, I'm not sure. But anyway, they all gathered up and went into her kitchen. She made coffee and they're just sitting there because they don't really know each other. They don't have anything to say. And all of a sudden Lois says, I learned tonight that I have an obsession and its name is Bill Wilson. Well, that makes sense to every one of us. And, you know, the, an alcoholic takes a drink and he becomes an alcoholic. We take the alcoholic and we become crazy. We take the alcoholic because that changes me. I have a craving. The alcoholic, one of the bad things about alcoholism is they crave alcohol, no matter what it does to them, no matter what it, it just, they lose their families, they lose their jobs, but they have that craving for alcohol. I have a craving for the alcoholic. I crave him. I crave to tell him what to do, what not to do, because I know best under my isms. I tell him what to eat, where to go. I, you know, you need to do this. You need to do that. I criticize everything he does. I follow him. I watch him. If he, he's in too late, I try to figure out where he's been. I mean, blondes have always been a thorn in my side. I fought blondes, and I see a couple on you right here, Jamie and J.R. Texas. Blondes drive me crazy. You got to watch them. They're sneaky. They will come up behind your back and get your man if you're not careful. And so I had to go. I'm a good detective, Alamon. I'd have to go out to the bars when he didn't come home and see who he was sitting with. Several times, there was always a blonde there, and I've turned over tables. They, the bouncers had to take me out of the bars, not him. I kicked down doors looking for that. Always looking for my him. Who's got him? Because it's mine. He's mine. And this is the greatest thing in the big book, The Doctor's Opinion. It says that most alcoholics are in full flight from reality. Do you get this? Full flight from reality. And if they ever turn around and look, they're going to see who's chasing them. It's us. You know, don't leave me, don't me. I love you. Come back, come home. Don't don't stay away. Come home and let's fight and scream and cut each other and you know scream in front of the kids. So come on, come on, come on. And here's even better news. Some of them are outright mental defectives. That's the one that I want. I want the outright mental defectives because I can manipulate them, one of my isms, into living my dream life. I have the illusion that I can be happy with an alcoholic. I have the illusion that my kids are going to be okay. And boy, I fought that to the gates of hell. I'll tell you that. So I met my first major alcoholic out there. He was a professional gambler. And this place opened up after all the other places closed. And it was called the Bloody Bucket. That was its nickname because there was fights out there, there was shootings out there, there was stabbings out there, 
if a fight didn't start or somebody didn't get hurt, you need to go get your money back. It just, you know, that was the entertainment out there. And I met this gambler and he walked by and his coat kind of opened up and he had a shoulder holster on with a gun. <gasps> oh, God, I was, I mean, mesmerized. This was a bad boy. And I don't know why, but I always liked the bad boys. And I watched him the rest of the night. And then a couple of times later, I don't think it was that night, but a, a few nights later, I say nights. I only went out on weekends. It sounds like I went out every night, but I just went out on weekends. And he walked by my table and threw a $100 bill on it with that alcoholic swagger. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Good looking alcoholic with swaggers. Just, I just, I'm done. And he said, here, walk around on this a little while. I never seen a hundred dollar bill. And I was in instantly in love with this man instantly. And I didn't know he was a professional gambler. I didn't know he was crazy. He was my first mental defective. And we started having a meaningful relationship. That's what they call it nowadays. Back in my day, it was called, we were shacked up. And I got pregnant by my daughter, Tracy. And when I, I moved in with him, much to the chagrin of my parents who were, like I said, Southern Baptist. And <laughs> I, I had that baby girl, I'll never forget it. Um, he was drunk. He left and then he came back a couple of days later and he said, I've helped you all I can help you. You need to take that baby and move out. Well, one of my isms is fear of abandonment. You can't do that to me. How can you do that to me? So when I got out of the hospital, my mind goes to work. I'm going to make him jealous. I've got to get him back. I'm going to ism manipulate because I know best, I know how to do this, I know best. So I go over across town to a guy that he has bad, bad blood with. Not good, not good. And I manipulated this guy, and I mixed his drinks a little bit stronger than they should have been to get him drunk faster, because I had a, I had a mission. And that was to go to the bloody bucket, prance around in front of him with this guy, make him jealous and then he'd come get me and I'd move back with him and he'd take care of us. That was, that was the mission. Well, we got over there, I got all that done. And then somebody out there came and said, you need to get out of here now. I mean, now, uh, don't stay here. You're, you're going to get hurt. So we left. And about two or three days later, one of my friends knocked on my door and it was early in the morning. The sun was just, just coming up. And she said to me that the gambler had taken a shotgun that night and blew this man's head off, literally. And I just, what? And then I noticed I, I, I couldn't breathe. This, my chest and my throat, it was just closing in. I, I couldn't breathe. And I couldn't figure out why I couldn't breathe. And then I was looking at her and behind her, Everything started going black. The sun was setting, going back down, and I couldn't figure out why the sun wasn't, what, what? 
just total confusion. It was just too much. It was too much. So I reared my head back, I swallowed, and I stuffed every feeling that surrounded that moment. And that feeling stayed gone until many years in the program. I could not, I could not stand the thought of what I had been a part of. I never dreamed of that. Who dreams of that? No, nobody does that. That's in the movies. Shortly thereafter, I went, and they put it all over the newspapers and the TV and the radio. Uh, they were going to clean Lubbock up. You know, it was just getting too bad, and it was just everywhere. And I went over with my little baby in my arms to go to my mama's house, and the screen door was locked. And nobody ever locked their house. We had one key to my house. It was on a shelf. And nobody ever touched it. That house was never locked, ever. My whole childhood the door was locked and i pounded on it my mother came to the door <coughs> and she said i don't want you we don't want you coming in and out of here we don't want the neighbors seeing you and if anybody asks if you're our daughter will you please tell them you're not and she shut the front door well i swear to you that did not hurt my feelings I just said, okay, mama. And I turned around and left. I knew, I knew that I had no right. I had no right. I had just humiliated my family. And I knew what I, I, I knew that I had become a piece of garbage. I knew that. And there was no doubt in my mind, they didn't need that. They didn't need me anywhere close to them. Okay, mama. And that's all I said. And I go back to my little one tiny room thing that I had rented. And I thought, I've got to do something different. Now, there was no God to turn to. There's no prayer to say. It was just me and my thoughts. And I thought, I've got to do something different with my life. I can't stand this. It's about the time that the rodeos were going on. Big deal. And the Cowboys, it was during the event at Morm, I think, I don't know, sometime. But anyway, people were, the hippie bunch just hit the country and they were burning flags and having rights and doing all kinds of things. And I thought, man, the on TV, they were saying, they were telling you to come to the rodeo where we don't burn flags. We still love America. We still blah, blah, blah. And I thought, that's it. I need to go to the rodeo grounds and get me a red-blooded all-American cowboy. So that's what I did. I took off to the rodeo grounds. After the rodeo, there's a big slab beside the rodeo, and the alcoholic guys lean up against the fence, and the gals lean over this fence. And about 11-ish, the guys start falling off that fence. So you kind of meet in the middle and get the one you want. There was, there he was, there was the cowboy. He had on a big old beautiful black hat. He was built, he was a bull rider and he was a fantastic dancer. That was it, that's my dream. This is gonna be it. The only difference I found <laughs> between him and the gambler is the gambler wore a pistol and the cowboy wore a hat.
That's the only difference in them. Their makeup was the same. We had that first dance, the same thing happened. And pretty soon we were having a meaningful relationship. One night, and he, oh man, he drank. And he was poked, and I drank too. I drank a lot just because you had to to be with him. I am not alcoholic. There's a rumor has been for many years that I might be, but I am not. Uh, they punched me. He punched, he was punching me in the chest. And I picked up an empty beer bottle and I busted that over his head, which was not the first time. That was my weapon of choice, a beer bottle on the table. I found this out in recovery too. I always thought I was such a victim. These guys, both of them, they were mean. You talk about domestic violence. We had domestic violence. <clears throat> I also found out in recovery, if they didn't start it, I did. I always felt guilty. And I wasn't sure exactly what, but you know, this fighting presented some kind of punishment for me. And I was told, and it is said a lot around here, we aren't victims, we're volunteers. And when I busted that bottle over his head, I started running out of that clubhouse because I'm pretty, sh pretty well sure I was going to be in trouble. And he followed me out and caught me and swung me around. And he said, you know what? I think you've just knocked some sense into me. I think we should get married. Oh, wow. <laughs> Look here. Married? I never dreamed about being married because I knew what I was. I am a slut puppy hoe. I am a piece of garbage. Nobody wants to be around me. I'm never going to be enough. And here he is saying married. Let me tell you, I helped that boy stay drunk for the next three days till I could get the license. My girlfriend get, let me have her dining room to get married. We got adjusted the piece and we were married. Oh, golly, finally. Now this is it. This is going to be great. I'm going to go home and bake cookies and make some kitchen curtains and he's going to mow the yard and we'll go to PTA with my, you know, it, this is it. And we had a fantastic, great marriage for the first two weeks. And then it was Friday night and one of his buddies came by and they took off. They'd be right back, don't you know? And two days later he came in. And there started the war, the war that everybody on here remembers. I'm going to stop him from drinking. Why don't you stay home? If you love me, you would do this. What about the kids? Don't you understand this? I would disappear for a few days, make him want me back. I would show back up. House would just be a mess. I just had to work harder. I tried threatening him. I tried everything. One time I read uh, The Happy Hooker came out. Some of y'all old women may remember The Happy Hooker, how, fat, how happy we were to have some instructions. It seemed like this was the instruction book. And there was a part in there about saran wrap and velveteen and feathers and bows. So I tried all of that. Oh, let me tell you something. I don't know how she did it. But I tried to wrap myself in saran wrap. Number one, that stuff gets so hot and sticky that you're just trapped. And you can't sit down in it. And it stinks. After a bit, it stinks. 
but I had all this on and ready to, you know, I made this big, beautiful dinner. I was going to keep him home. I, I figured it out. Keep him home. I had candles. I heard that you did that, and I got all this stuff. And I was already standing there waiting, and he never showed up. He went straight to the bar when he got off work. So there you are. Nothing. I, I mean, I tried everything. I tried everything, and nothing was working. Now, all this time, unbeknownst to me, I'm getting crazier and crazier and crazier. The neighbors are keeping their kids away from my kids. I've lost all my friends. I've lost all my my parents, of course. I've lost everybody in my life. And people are saying to me, why do you stay there? And I say to them, with every fiber in my being, I meant this. I'm not. As soon as the kids get out of school, I'm leaving. Well, as soon as the car gets paid off, I'm leaving. Well, as soon as I get some money saved up, I, it's just as soon as and soon as. And to tell you the truth, I did not know why I did not leave him. I would ask my alcoholic, why do you drink? And every now and then I got this glimpse before he started screaming and blaming me. But I got this glimpse that I know he had the same feeling that I did. I don't know. I can't leave him. I don't know. My kids are going through hell. I don't know. I've lost everything. I don't know. I can't leave him. I just can't. And I did not have a clue why. I was sitting in my rocking chair in my den. I had a little boy. I thought that would stop him from going out. It didn't. So I had a boy and a daughter. And most of the time, they were in their room. And I'll tell you why. My house was either stone silent or it erupted with cussing and breaking of glass and throwing things and screaming and yelling. There was no in-between. And they could tell what night kind of night it was going to be by how their daddy started, and me too, how he got out of the pickup and started walking towards the house. If he was staggering, if the beer cans fell out, it was going to be a bad night. They knew that too. So they knew when it was going to happen with him. They never, ever knew when it was going to happen with me. They never knew. They could come up and say, Mama, I'm hungry. Can I have a sandwich? And I might scream and yell and throw them in the back room as you stay there. Don't quit bothering me. They never knew what I was going to do. And I did not know the damage I did to my kids until many years in recovery. In a sidebar here, I was Alateen's sponsor for a while. And they were going around the room. And this young man said he just hated his mother. She stayed there. Why did she stay there? Why didn't she leave? Why didn't she get us and leave? If she loved us, she'd have left him. Well, of course, my heart just sank. And then a few seats over, this young girl said, I don't like my mother. She made us leave. I don't want to be without my daddy. He just drinks. He's quiet. I don't like my mother. And I, I thought, oh, my God. If you left or if you didn't leave, it didn't make any difference. It was the alcoholism. 
It was the Alanonism, and that cleared my head. I got it. We are a broken family. He has alcoholism. I have alcoholism. I have Alanonism, and we mesh. And I'm not quite sure. I I say this a lot, and I don't want to argue about it. But I'm not sure if God has a plan there, because our sicknesses, our brokenness brings us to this recovery and that's where the whole family gets well so maybe it's like 1935 two guys in the garage and zoom maybe he had a plan with me i don't know but i was sitting there this thursday i had two black eyes and a busted lip he worked out of town i knew he's gonna be coming in and i knew i couldn't do it anymore i was done and i never asked for help from anybody if you said anything to me, I would tell you, no, thank you. I'm just fine. Leave me alone. I'm fine. But that day, the one thought came across my mind. First of all, I thought, thought about a bunch of pills in my cabinet. But I thought, if I do that, there's nobody to take my kids, not, not a soul to take my children. So I remembered an article I read in Ann Landers a few months prior. And someone had written her about drinking husband, and she said, go to Al-Anon. That, no, she's, to me, she said, call AA. And so that's what I did. I called AA and talked to somebody, and they gave me a number, and I called that number. It was a lady. She asked me to come to her house. I went to her house. I didn't ever go to anybody's house. And you, you know that there's power greater than me leading me through all of this. So I go to her house, and we were talking, and a few minutes later, her Sober husband came in and started talking to me, and they get they. Here's a big deal. They didn't poo poo me off just because I was an Al-Anon. They sat there and gave me a couple hours of their time. They twelve stepped me literally, and told me all about their drinking, and how they had affected their kids and each other, and just for a flash, I mean, just like a lightning strike. I got some hope that maybe there was some hope and I made arrangements for them to pick me up and they picked me up the next night, the next couple of nights, whatever it was. And I went down with them. Uh, now I know he tried to open the car door for me, but I didn't allow it because nobody had ever opened the door for me. I didn't know what that meant. So I just jumped out of the car and he walked, it was a clubhouse. He walked in front of me. He opened the door and then kind of backed up. And I thought, well, why didn't he go in the door? And he's just standing there. And I'm looking at him, and he's looking at me, and I thought, what the? And finally, he gestured. He was holding that door open for me. And then it dawned on me, oh, my God, he's mistaken me for a lady. He thinks I'm a lady. I'd seen Rock Hudson open the doors for Doris Day. That's what the gentleman did for these beautiful women. And I just stood there, and finally he said, please. So I walked in, and as I walked through that threshold, there was a coffee room, a long coffee room, and there was a cigarette machine. I'll never forget this. Down at the other end, and there was two drunks leaning up against it. And they had those little boxes with the little tiny pictures of a cigarette pouch, package, Pale males, cools, camels, whatever it was back in those days. And they were all colored. 
and he was kind of dark at that end so it made this kind of glow and there was this glow over these guys and they were laughing i'm not i mean laughing a crystal clear sober laugh i hadn't heard laughter there is no laughter in an alcoholic home and i hadn't heard laughter in so long that i was just mesmerized i stopped dead in my tracks and was standing there until she came in and kind of pushed me on and she went into that alanon room with me and sat with me she hadn't been to alanon before and i don't think she ever went again but she went in and sat with me because i so i wouldn't have to sit by myself and from that day to this day if there's a newcomer in the room i have them sit by me please come sit by me it is so important for somebody just to sit with because it's the scariest thing anybody does is walk into their first Alnon meeting and just somebody say, please come sit by me and start chit-chatting with it. And it's something that I did. This woman, I watched her. She uh, got a book off this little table. She got some money and put it in this tin cup, tin little cup thing. And she walked over and she handed me that book. She said, here's a brand new book. I think you might enjoy it. And I said, oh, well, uh, uh, let me, I, I don't have any, I left my money at home, but I, she said, no, no, no. I didn't have any money. And she probably knew that. And she said, no, no, no. The way you pay me back is someday when there's a newcomer for their first meeting, you can give them a book. And I said, oh, okay. Well, I looked at the book and it was called One Day at a Time. Brand new book, the ODAT. It just come out in October and this was February. And man, I read that I have I still read that book today, 51 years later, and it still gets me. It's still a guiding for me. July 1st is my favorite page in that book. Everybody that I sponsor, they all read July 1st. Everybody knows July 1st. It is a direction for life. If it's about it says that the man I married. But I put in there my daughter, my son, my boss, my neighbor, my checkbook, my health, everything I put in that page. And it's a, it's a blueprint for my life. And I loved it. And I, I sat there through that whole meeting. I couldn't tell you what they say. Said. I get so tickled when people get all upset about, well, the newcomers, we can't do this. The newcomers, well, they, we can't say that for the newcomers. Hell, the newcomers don't know a thing they've heard. They don't hear nothing. They don't know what they're talking about. You're not going to run our newcomer office. She's ready. They don't know what we're saying. For God's sake, shut up. And I just knew when I left there, I wanted to come back because some of them were talking about their husband's drinking. One lady's son was drinking. One lady's father was drinking. And I remember hearing that. And I knew I was going to come back. And I did. I wanted to be in the, after a few weeks, I wanted to be in that room worse than anything I had ever encountered. I just, I, it was like I found oxygen. It was like I found a, a, a place. It, it was like, God, I just, I just wanted to be there. I just wanted to listen to y'all. Y'all were pressed and you smelled good. Your hair was fixed makeup on y'all y'all were beautiful 
And I've heard this said, new people can't hear what they say, but they can see what we are. And that, boy, that, that's mine's motto. I didn't hear what you, but I saw you. And I left, I, I loved y'all from the instant. Oh, man. And I would jump out of there the minute the amen was over. I was out of there. Because if I knew, y'all were all so clean and nice. I knew you didn't have the life that I had. I knew that y'all were good people. And if y'all knew where I was from and what I was like, I was just, I was afraid you wouldn't want me there. So I would just shoot out. And they watched me, and two of them, this had to, this was a long skinny room, and there was two doors, and uh, they decided to catch me one night. And my soon to be sponsor chose the door that I chose to go out. And she stopped me, and she said something to me that only she could have said and only I could heard. And she told me later she didn't know why she said that to me. It was one of her deepest, darkest secrets. And she didn't know why that fell out of her mouth. And I, it was divine appointment. That was the first time I realized that there's divine appointments for all of us. And my, that was my first one. And it, it was shortly there that she became my sponsor. And it was shortly after that she invited me over to her house. She and her husband, he was sober. His name was Jack. And he, one of my giants, one of my absolute, complete, total giants. I never met a man like him. He was a gentleman. He taught me like a gentleman. He treated me like a gentleman. He treated my kids like they were human beings. When I didn't, I couldn't. And they didn't have a daddy. This man kept treating my kids. And he cut up with them and he gave them nicknames. And he was just my giant. And they, they read the big book with me. And they explained the disease of alcoholism. They told me what I was going through and what was affecting me. And I went to meetings and I was told to go to open AA meetings, which I still do to this day. And this is a, my opinion. It's right, of course. Uh, but it's uh, if you don't go to open AA meetings once a week, if you don't hear sober alcoholics talk, I don't believe you will ever understand the disease of alcoholism. And it's also, I have observed through the years, those who don't are not happy campers. They are not happy. They never get what Alan's about. Most of them go into service. And I mean, no disrespect, but they can't control at home. They go into service and start controlling there. And then they come back and try to control. They're just control freaks because they never get past that. And they never forgive their alcoholic husbands, their alcoholic mother or dad, they just have that underlying low disdain. And unless you get that forgiveness, Al-Anon just doesn't work 100%. And I, I've just seen it my whole Al-Anon life, and I know that's the truth. And I started going and I started learning all these things. I did find a God. Of course I did. It says having had a spiritual awakening is the result. And I did. And then, man, that's what it was like. And that's what happened. And what it's like now is just amazing. I don't have enough time to tell you what all it's like. Um, I, one of the things I did was, I, as I was told, you tell that cowboy that he does not have the right to hit you ever again. 
but say it in the morning when he's full of regret. So I did that and he stopped hitting me. There was no screaming as well, he'd scream but not as bad. And I'd scream but not as bad. And that changed. Uh and I was we had rented this house and I had a bedroom way at the back and way at the front was my bedroom with my kids. And one night he came in and he flipped that light on in the living room and that switch, the way he flipped that light on, it woke me up. Now the first miracle I ever had in Al-Anon was I could sleep all night. And he, I heard that switch and then I could feel it. There was doom and gloom coming at me by the way he was walking. I knew something bad was fixing to happen. And sure enough, he slipped, flipped the white light on my bedroom and jumped in the middle of the bed and started just beating me with his fist. And I got all tangled up in the covers and I hit the foot of the bed and I fell off and my face bounced back and I saw my two little kids standing in the door, screaming, just dancing. Daddy, please don't hit her anymore. Please don't hit her anymore. And that was my surrender, their faces. It dawned on me, they know what's going on. It was seconds. They heard that light switch in that living room too. And in seconds, they were out of their room into my room. And that was it. I was done. I left him, divorced him. I got into nursing school and that was by the help of people in the program. I didn't want to be a nurse. Who wants to be a nurse? I mean, I get car sick. I didn't want to do all those bedpans and stuff, but it just unfolded. I didn't have anything to do with it. It unfolded and I became a nurse. I was self-supporting through my own contributions and things were looking up. And I put my daughter, my teenage daughter into bed one night with her Barbie and the next morning she woke up and she was full-fledged alcoholic running and jumping and we started fighting and screaming. I, it was going to be different with my child, don't you know? It's easy to kick a drunk out, but you can't kick your daughter out your life. I did kick her out of the house finally. And then there was the war of an alcoholic daughter. There, You know, kids, that's a whole, a whole new planet. The cowboy came and captured, just kidnapped my little son. And my son did not grow up with me from that day till he was adult. And my kids were just a mess. And I had to surrender my kids. I had to go back through the steps and I hit six and seven and I learned a whole new world. The six and seven, Jack said, I said to him, I've already taken six and seven. Why hadn't God removed all this? He said, why don't you look at the fact that for the need to have those character defects or the need for you to use those isms. Why don't you look at that? And I did, and I surrendered those. And I was told to, and I did in my prayer and meditation to surrender my kids to God and give them their life, whatever that life looked like. And the best of my ability, I could live one day at a time. I went off to a convention in Midland, Texas, and this plumber come from California was there with his sponsor Clancy and and we got to you know he had these big blue eyes and he turned around and uh, I was sitting with a friend of his and he put his hand over that and shook my hand and he, is, he had 
big old huge diamonds on both hands and a big old diamond watch. And I thought, I think I'm in love. And sure enough, I manipulated that until we, uh, we finally got married. I'll tell you, it was a rough road. He dumped me and then we got back together. A lot of lessons learned there. And we finally got back together and got married. He brought two kids into the marriage. We moved to Oklahoma and we lived there for quite some time. I was going back to Lubbock to a convention and my, I got there and I called my daughter and she said, well, I'll come see you. She came to the Saturday night meeting and still drunk. She tried suicide, still drunk. And she heard her story and she got 12 step that night and she got sober. She was sober for 10 years. She got met boy on AA campus. They got pregnant. They got married, and then we got them. They got divorced right afterwards. And then <clears throat> Jim had sobered up and lived in California for years. Uh, when we got married, he had just tried. He was going to try moving back to Oklahoma where he was born. Didn't work. So we went back to California. Tracy went with us and my granddaughter, Charday. And she had 10 years of sobriety, just seemingly active. And then she got drunk. And it was just such a shock. But as I look back, I could see it was coming. When we were in um, Oklahoma, my stepdaughter, she didn't know where my grandson, my first grandson, she didn't know where he was last night. One night she lost him. That was her bottom. And she came and she got sober just a few months between Tracy and, and Sheila, my stepdaughter. And Sheila has 30, nearly 36 years now. And Tracy, she got drunk. She moved over to Phoenix. She's drinking back and forth for, you know, quite a while. And she called me one night and she said, well, I want you to know I just got married. And I said, to who? She hadn't been dating anybody. So she told me who it was. I knew who it was. It was this kid in Lubbock. She had gone back to Lubbock and saw him and on a drunk and they got married. And I said, well, are you going to live in Texas or are you going to live in Phoenix? She said, well, we got to hurry up and get back to Phoenix. I mean, to Texas before his parole officer finds out he's out of state. So you can imagine what kind of <laughs> marriage that was. She wound up living in a tent in front of a trailer house. Uh, and he ran off with a redheaded stripper and that sent her back to AA and she just celebrated 20 years now. My granddaughter's an alcoholic. Uh, she's got a year sober. She has four kids. The two oldest ones, she is completely lost to her alcoholism. They live with her father. She cannot see him. They've told those children don't even know she exists anymore. He's just a cruel man. She couldn't see him. We can't see him. I hadn't seen them in years. And then she had two other kids. One went to foster home and foster care, and my daughter kept one. And this past year, she's got them back, and she's in nursing school, so she's doing good. My first grandson, Brad, got off on drugs and drinking. He was just a god-awful mess. And he was living in Los Angeles in South Central L.A., and I know y'all don't know what that means, but South Central LA is the worst crime spot in America. 
and he is blonde, fair-skinned, and he was right in the middle of the black-brown community, crime-ridden. And he woke up, he slept in a bush so they couldn't see his white skin at night. <laughs> so he was in a bush and he made his way back home. He got in trouble, he was on the way to prison. A man from AA walked in and said to the judge, which he had done this before, let me have him, he needs to go to AA. He doesn't need to go to prison. The judge let him take my grandson. My grandson now has five years of sobriety. He met a beautiful young girl. They have a little boy. He got his oldest daughter back and he's uh, vice president of this company. Doing great. My, his younger brother has, let's see, three months sober right now. He got sober in this pandemic. So there's a, and my son, my gorgeous sweet son, we got, we both, I decided to move, my husband Jim died. I came back to Texas. He was in Indiana. He got promoted back here, eight miles from each other. From California to Dallas, Indiana to Dallas, divine appointment. So we have reconnected. He's married this blonde, and they have the cutest little blonde boy, and they're eight miles from me. My life is just, I, I can't even, there's no time. There's so much, much more to tell y'all, and there's no time. I get caught up some in how it was sometimes. But my life is so full. It's so big. It's so full of magic. I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable. God has taken me through all of this. Both of my kids, because of that bad childhood, not, they can recognize broken. My son's in Cowboy Church, and he recognizes broken hearts, and he goes and talks to them. And only he can talk to them because he has the experience of growing up with alcoholism. My daughter, she can see a new sober person, and she knows exactly what they're going through and she gathers them up. So God used all of that. And I saw that one day, this clears the bell. God uses everything, everything for the good. He never allows anything to happen to my kids that, that he couldn't use later on. And so I know that God has no grandkids, that he had my kids from the get-go and they have their path to go. So that makes me feel so good all the time. I, I did move from California, Jim, did dine back here in a house that my son provides for me. And uh, I'm just as happy as I can be. I, I had vertigo starting three years ago and I was down and out for three months. And then I could barely move for a couple of years there. So I've had a head start on being alone during the pandemic. So I know how to, and Zoom has saved my life. Like I said, I love it. So I'm so content today. I got old people stuff. I mean, I got every old people stuff that you can think of, but God provides. And Bob White, Marcy's husband, I because of I was my nursing, I got to help take care of him when he was dying. And right before he got so sick, he talked at the Canyon Conference that Jim and I started many years ago. And he he said. In that Sunday morning, he said, we close every meeting with the Lord's Prayer. And he said, why don't you pray it 
instead of just saying it. It starts out with our Father, and then it has the line in there's the kingdom and the power and the glory. Any school kid, said he, could figure out if there's a Father and he's our king, that makes us royalty. We are a prince and a princess of the kingdom. He said, claim your heritage. And I've always had, always had trouble with my self-worth. And as he said that, I thought, you know, that's right. I am a child of the king. And then he said the power and the glory. Well, the power is in our meetings. It's over Zoom. I feel y'all over Zoom. I feel your power. And the glory is the God that shows up with y'all right through my iPad. So to this day, I know my heritage. I know where it came from. It came from y'all all gathered up just for me. My name is Princess Vinoy, and I'm a child of the king. And for that, I thank y'all so, so much. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Vinoy. And I'd love to, um, if you want, un un go ahead and unmute yourselves and um, give her a real uh, round of applause. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. And uh, so I'll just um, put back up there the uh, announcements. And um, if you can um, and are willing to go ahead and uh, we'll pass the virtual basket by the uh, Venmo method. Those of you who have your home group as this group, the Happy Destiny group, please stay after. And I'll go ahead and read the closing. But before that, I would like to just especially say thank you to Vinoy. Uh, I love that she talked about heritage. I consider Vinoy my heritage. Um, and, and those like her, like Marcy and Arbutus and Lois, um, they're all yep. my heritage. And I yep. just get chill bumps when I think about the great honor it is to stand upon their shoulders and and I too think that wow it's so strange that in you know 1935 two guys got together and and I know God was yeah. thinking about all of us including me and and yeah. that I needed that book that they would write in 1939 so um anyway thank you so much Vinoy this has been a long time coming for me and uh it's amazing oh. that Zoom could get you here Thank so, you, Sarah. Um, you're welcome. And I'm going to go ahead and read the closing. And if Jamie could handle the chat for me. Um, in this group, we take a moment to recognize those members who serve the group. Our GR is Cindy F. The website person is Lisa K. Secretary is Jamie E. Treasurer is Margot B. And our greeter coordinator is Kelly R. We do give desire chips even during the pandemic. So if you want a desire chip, um, you can just put your email or an address or a phone number and we'll find a way to get it for you. I do want to ask if there's any newcomers. I forgot to ask that in the beginning. And if there are, please make yourself known. Jamie can watch out for that. In closing, I would like to say the opinions expressed here were strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you liked and leave the rest. The things you heard were spoken in confidence and should be treated as confidential. Come within the walls of this room and the confines of your mind. A few special words to those of you who haven't been with us long. 
Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If you try to keep an open mind, you will find help. You will come to realize that there is no situation too difficult to be bettered and no unhappiness too great to be lessened. We aren't perfect. The welcome we give you may not show the warmth we have in our hearts for you. After a while, you'll discover that though you may not like all of us, you'll love us in a very special way, the same way we already love you. Talk to each other, reason things out with someone else, let there be no gossip or criticism of one another. Instead, let the understanding, love, and peace of the program grow in you one day at a time. And will all who care to join me in closing with the Lord's Prayer. Um, you know, who has brought us all here today at this moment of history so that we could find serenity? Our Father, Our Father who art in heaven, art in heaven. Hallowed, hallowed, hallowed be thy name. name. Thy kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, will be done. On, earth on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever and amen amen i love it when we all say the lord's prayer and everybody's saying it different because it reminds me after the meeting when everybody's standing up and talking and just blah 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 i love it <laughs> don't forget to check your messages a lot of people are thanking you i don't i don't want you to miss that i did thank you i just okay. checked them a second ago yes thank you thank you very much awesome awesome <laughs> oh it's so sweet thank y'all thank you Benoit. We'll have you back sometime. Anytime, sugar. Anytime. Lenoy, we had uh, 73 people. Good. Yeah. Good. Awesome. Now, there's somebody on there from Baltimore, Maryland. How in the world did she find y'all in Houston, Texas? And somebody from Hawaii. How'd they find yeah. you in Houston, yeah. Texas? In California. <laughs> oh, California too, huh? Uh-huh. Cool. Uh -huh. Lenoy? Yes. I'm from, this is Lisa B. from Hawaii, and we didn't find this meeting so much as we followed you. <laughs> <laughs> you, were a, you were a big part of my early recovery as um, we had a small group here, and I, I was having a hard time feeling the, finding the message, so I went, went out and picked up speakers, and you and Blanche, uh, yeah. uh, Father Tom, yeah. um, just so many people. Um, yeah. that I picked up, but you especially, I followed, and really, really grateful to actually kind of finally kind of meet you, actually. I feel like I yeah. just got to meet you. Yeah. Yeah, so. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. And I told yeah. all my peeps here in Hawaii to join us. Some of them did, so that was great. Oh, that's awesome. That's really <laughs> awesome. Good. Thank you guys so much for doing this. By the way, just I, I didn't want to make the announcement when you guys were doing your announcements because it's totally off. But we are going to have a convention here with with Al-Anon participation. It's an AA Al-Anon thing. Um, we're probably not going to have this year's, but next year, Father Tom is coming. 
Oh, so nice. I will, um, I'll definitely keep people informed. And uh, maybe if you're thinking about a trip to Hawaii, um, that would be a good time to come. It's in the fall, usually at the end of October. Good. Right. Awesome. Lisa, we have a Facebook group. If you want to oh. follow us and then you can put your information in there. It's a at happy destiny AFG. Okay. All right. Yeah. Great. Please I will. Join that and then share information. We'd love that. Mm -hmm. Yes. And if you ever do come to Hawaii, we have some really wonderful meetings. So we'd love to see you guys. Yep. Great. So. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Aloha. 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 <laughs> hi, y'all. I'm from Corpus, Christy, Texas. Oh, hi. I came in late. I was watching um, Ayan Love Fix My Life. I like watching that show. <laughs> Sorry. But I came in and I'm so happy I was able to hear Vanoi. I'm going through some things and. Um, just by hearing and listening to her, I feel a lot better now. Good. Way better. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. You bet, honey. My privilege. You bet. Yeah. <laughs> All righty, y'all. It has been a privilege and honor, and I hope to see all of you as we trudge the road. All righty. Thank, thank you, Benoit. Uh-huh. Thank you, Lisa. Bye-bye. 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 Good, good to see you. Oh, hey, Dolores. I know hey, you. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I attend the, I'm with you on the Zoom meetings, though. I attended the Omega, I, I attend the Omega meetings, and I attended Courage to Change, and I, who else? <laughs> uh, this morning, the Louisville group. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So good to see you. You met you at the Roundup this year. You weren't there, uh, were you? This year, there wasn't one this well, year. No, you know, last year, I guess, in last August, I guess. I was not. I was talking somewhere, and I was oh. thoroughly disappointed that I missed it. Well, yeah. listen, I wanted to tell you that when i attended your group in denton you know i signed mm -hmm. up for a raffle and i said the one thing i wanted was that uh, well i'm sure you don't remember but you know the old window that's got the serenity prayer on it yes and and that was i won when it was called i won it so i remember it, that i yeah. remember that i was pissed yeah. off because i wanted it <laughs> that was more than one <laughs> they well, it's hanging in front of the window in front of my bed. So when oh, I Oh, how nice. Yes. That's I love nice. you, Vinoy. So good I love to see you too, you. honey. Hope yeah. Well. Good for you. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you all for letting me attend your meetings. Oh, thanks, Dolores. You've been here a couple of weeks, so we, we'd love to keep having yeah. you. I will, as long as y'all are on Zoom. Will do. <laughs> I may even drive down one day. Oh, and right. go back here we'll have you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Uh, love you, Lisa. Thank you so much for having this. Oh, thank see you, you Marty. I'll see you soon or okay. somewhere. Maybe tomorrow morning at meditation. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good night. Thanks. Good night. Good night. Bye.
Bye bye, Linda. Come back soon. Okay, thank you. <laughs> All right, I think we're down to close to the core. And I'm sharing. Oh, stop recording.